Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Nancy Lake, author, psychic blogger, and counselor who talked to God during her near-death experience, and today we're going to learn about it. Nancy, thank you for being on our podcast, and welcome. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Nancy, can you start on the day that it happened and go from there? Yes. Um, I had a procedure done, a surgical procedure. Um, it was a gynecological issue. And <clears throat> I um, there's um, a surgery called a DNC that I was going to have done, and it's not invasive it's you know not usually anything to worry about usually but um on this particular day um i think i either lost some extra blood or the anesthesia was too much which happens even with elective surgery sometimes celebrities die, you know, because of the anesthesia. So um, they, did, they never admitted that. They never said anything that would confirm that. <clears throat> the only evidence I have that something unusual happened was that they were having trouble um, waking me back up in the recovery room. Um, when this near-death memory starts for me is actually when the nurse is shaking me and calling my name and I was very upset or very irritated because I did not want to come back um I was talking to God and I was it was um I'll go into some more detail about all of that but I'm just kind of giving the setting sorry let me drink some The situation that I was in um, was they were trying to wake me back up. So at the time that she was calling my name, um, I was telling God, I don't want to go back to my earth life. Um, I am so happy here. And I was. I was so God did not look like a person. I knew it was God. I knew um, um, it was a lot of light. I was I was in I want to call it a God throne room or something, which maybe not exactly right, but you have to make up words for these things because there's no real definition. But anyway, so I'm in this very bright place. The voice of God was male. I don't know that that's 
because he was male or just my um for me for my i think god will reach you in a way that you will receive him best you know that you're more comfortable with um and so the voice was male but it was kind of like surround sound it was like um his voice was coming from within me and without me and i was totally enveloped in love and joy and my fan just went off thank goodness love joy and happiness and freedom and i had all my answers i've always been one of those people that ask all those big questions like why am i here i mean i've been doing that you know most of my life i've been a seeker of truth um all my questions were instantly answered it was like i had amnesia in my earth life and it's like I was playing a very small, puny role in life because um, I had experienced some trauma, uh, childhood trauma. And I felt like everybody else, everybody else's life and their wants and desires mattered a lot more than mine. You know, I was kind of reduced to <clears throat> this person that was serving other people or making other people happy. And so I just felt so complete and so happy. And um, and I just did not want to go back. And so um, I'm glad he that God presented a good arg- um, good rebuttal to my, you know, sort of like we were arguing and I was like, I was arguing with him. I was crying. I was like very frustrated. And um, he said, but Nancy, I'm with you there. I will be with you there. I am present there. All you need to do is ask. And it was a very powerful promise. He said, just, I promise, you know, I will be there. When things get tough, just ask. Well, so with that, with that promise, um, I woke up and then I've noticed that for the the next several days, I had to rebuild. I had to remember my experience because it was sort of like a movie that you is all about flashbacks. You know, I, I woke I, in the most powerful and intense experience was saying, I don't want to come back. And that was powerful and um oh he said another thing so here here i'm doing it again so i start remembering all the things that led up to the the i start going back and and recalling everything um but he said you're the one that closes the door you're the one that closed the door and i have spent this happened to me about 30 years ago and when i was on that operating table and i have um wondered how do I close the door? Why did I close the door? Or what does that mean? So, okay, I have a couple of realizations as an adult now. Um, I don't think I fully believed in God. Um, You know, probably in theory, I would say I was agnostic, not atheist. I, I thought there was 
something bigger than myself, of course. Um, uh, so anyway, um, and then um, I also think that life just gets in the way. Like I was, like I said, busy living for other people or not being in full realization of who I really was. And it, there's a lot of pieces to that why we close the door. I, I think we it's common with us humans that we're not making time or realizations that there is this relationship. Oh, and the relationship with God is first. It's the most paramount thing about us. You know, it's like... Um, when I was in the presence of God and heard the voice and was talking to him, um, it was like a reunion, a long lost family member love of your life that you haven't seen in eons. It's um, very ancient. I'm going to use the word ancient, a very ancient relationship. It's, it's very primal, um, very big. I would say very necessary to being who we really are, our authentic self. Um, at a deeper level, we all know this powerful relationship and we know when it's missing. I, I, I've kind of surmised that when I talk to people, I'm a counselor. I, I actually have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. I, I <clears throat> But I'm also psychic, so I advertise myself as a psychic because I've been psychic all my life, and I've been a medium. When I was a kid, I saw my grand, my great-great-grandparents, some of my great-grandfathers. I'll tell that story if we have a chance. Um, and so um, I have um, – there's a phone ringing, sorry – so I have these memories of um, God, but I didn't, I think when people are reaching out, like finding love in all the wrong places, like trying to um, connect with other people and get their needs met, or they're using substances or alcohol or whatever. I, I think some of our depression, probably a large part of our depression is the um, disconnect. And I'm sorry to add my own commentary. I'm trying to stay true. This is after 30 years, you know, I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of perspective. I've had time to, to think about everything. But <clears throat> if I'm true to the experience, um, he said very provocative things that I went home and really thought about. So um, that one thing about closing the door and then realizing how much I've missed. Like I am full to the brim with love. I don't know if other people <clears throat> talk about the joy of reconnection and the love. You just can't, ex the love we experience on earth is kind of a shadow, you know, kind of pale uh, compared to, um, This this love is the answer to everything. You just you just feel complete. Like oh, this is what I've been missing. <laughs> this is what I've been looking for. 
all those times I had rotten boyfriends. I was really looking for God or something. And um, so it, it, it was beautiful. It was intense. Um, when I first, the first thing I remember about my NDE was the void. And I'm so glad other people speak of that because I thought I was alone but the first thing I was and it was beautiful it was just everything there was just nothing it's all black just pitch black like being in a pitch black room um but the the feeling for me was um it was healing it was healing a certain part of me um the void is kind of I think necessary to clear clear the emotions away or clear the earth experience away it was there like um an intermission of some sort between your real life and then experiencing this out of body or other reality that you're stepping into and um after and this is the part I have kind of debated. I also saw the earth. The earth was about moon size. Like I, the distance, I was out in space. Space was very black also. But I remember seeing the earth in a distance. And it was, it was a small, about the size of the moon. Or, yeah. And... Um, Again, I feel that it was necessary to feel that distance. Like, okay, you're not on Earth anymore. You're not in Kansas anymore. You know, you're, it was giving you perspective like I wasn't tied to that energy. I think Earth can be intense. Um, okay, so... Um, I'm trying, so I had to, I had to go back. So, oh, there was a life review. Um, it was intense as well. And I don't think that has ended completely. Like there are some times when I feel like I'm stepping back and still reviewing my life. Yeah. And um, it wasn't, I can remember laughing about some things there were some things that were very comical so it wasn't a horrible thing to go through I did re I did realize certain errors or in thinking or relationship errors um, so I definitely think part of our purpose is to grow um, in our awareness of love towards others and ourself. It seems like that's a big part of our experience as humans. Um, the life review is there. Oh, and I was told there was some sort of angelic presence. She was female. Um, and I was, it reminds me of another experience I've had too. But anyway, this, this female angelic presence was saying, um, you don't want to miss out on the golden opportunities in front of you. And that was very eye-opening, too, because there are times I've had suicidal thoughts. 
never went through with anything. You know, I never, but I've thought about it. <laughs> and I, I think you have to be an exceptional person to have not ever thought about it. You know, there must, I think most people have had a moment where, stop the bus, I want to get off, you know, this is too much or something. Um, so I'm admitting to that, but it is interesting that I was made aware of, you know, it, it takes a lifetime, you know, you have to travel through all those developmental stages to become an adult. And then here you are an adult and you don't want to throw away your ability to fulfill your own um, promises, I guess your life contract to yourself, because then you have to start all over again. And, you know, so I think I, I know there's more and little, little pieces, but the fact that it's, uh, they use the word golden opportunity. And it was very, that stuck for some reason, the fact they use those words. Um, that you don't want to throw that away. And you, um, I knew that I wasn't, when I went back, I knew there would still be problems in my life or, you know, challenges and everything. And, and there certainly have been, but, um, you know, and, and having this experience doesn't make you more, perfect or more spiritual. I mean, it does, it does make you more aware of certain things. Um, but I mean, I don't feel more spiritually evolved than other people. I think everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to do, <laughs> growing at their own pace. Um, if life deems you need an out-of-body experience, I'm sure you'll have one, but you know, that that will be gifted to you. But um, I do see it as a gift. I see it as giving you a little bit of an advantage insight wise. So you were having this procedure done during the procedure. Did you just wake up in the black void? That was before the last the last interaction I had was arguing with God that I didn't want to go back. When the nurse was calling my name, I wanted to tell her to shut up. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. Because when I came out, when I woke up, she I saw her as gorgeous. I saw her as angelic. I I mean, it's like she had a halo. I mean, I think, you know, I, I told her how beautiful she was. And I'm sure she thought, oh, that's the anesthesia talking or something. But. Um, that I had this profound love and I continued to have that profound love for every single person I met for about a week and then slowly real life, you know, I went back to old habits or old thinking patterns. Um, and so it was great to have that experience. The black void is just something I recalled later, I'd say the next day or two, I had a chance to review this. I didn't know, at the time this happened, I didn't know too much about near-death experiences. Um, I had nothing to compare it to. I just had to, I just had to re-remember, pull it all forward in my consciousness. And that was, I think, one of the first things like, let's say when they first 
gave me the anesthesia. The, the black, yeah, the void was one of the very first things I can remember. And I, like I said, I feel that was healing. I felt like I, it wasn't scary, but I feel like it was necessary. You were in the black void. Then did you take a tunnel to the throne room of God or did you just from there all of a sudden you were transported to this throne room? It was very, I remember it being very sudden. I don't, I don't remember experiencing the tunnel. I do remember seeing the earth and I can remember it just being inspired by it. Like, oh my gosh, there's the earth. Um, kind of having a lump in my throat. And then I kind of had this moment where I was going, but why am I here? You know, why am I, you know, what's going on here? You know, there was like a question mark. And then I feel like I wound up and I caught the throne. Room. Yeah, I was in, God was all around me like surround sound and it was all light. At that point, did you realize, okay, maybe I'm dead or something? I, no, for some reason, the, I, the word dead, because I was more alive than I ever, ever have been in my life, but the word dead did not come up. <laughs> and I don't remember asking that. Um, I just knew I, I was just having the time of my life. I was just happier than I've ever been. And if there was a way of staying, um, I, I, I would have. And I do think there's a certain homesickness like there are times it's getting better you know this was 30 years ago at first the first couple of years all I wanted to do was talk about it and remember it and oh, I would get homesick I'd like oh gosh if I could just you know Remember, you know who was great, very healing. There's there's a couple of people that were very healing for me um, with a homesickness, homesickness feeling of missing God, missing this. There's the fans. Um, Howard Storm, you've heard of Howard Storm, right? Right. The, the, my descent into death, and I've I've talked to him in person. I called Howard Stern on the phone one day. When I was writing, I was writing my own essay, my own memories, memoir of this experience. And I talked to him for about an hour. And I said, I love every single interview that you've done. I probably listened to because I don't relate to everything. But the thing that I most relate to with Howard is the emotion. I can tell. I can tell by someone's emotions, like they're missing, they, they were really in the presence of God. They really um, had this experience because they're triggering that for me. You know, they kind of trigger that memory like, oh, yeah, yeah I was there. I remember. <laughs> and how, how it deepens, I think it deepens us as a person because Yeah, um, you just, this deeper part of you, you know, you know more who you are, you know more who you are, and you know more about the relationship with God, you won't distrust that again. 
Um, I don't think I had any fear of death either, except I had COVID in um, January of 2021, and I was in the hospital, and um, I did have an out-of-body experience. Um, I was in the hospital. My son was here in the apartment, and he saw me. I guess I, he saw like this image of me, just light, just kind of a light body walking down the hallway of our home. And I can remember coming very close to death with COVID. And so, um, and so I've been saying for years that I have no fear of death, but then there was something about COVID that was scary. <laughs> There was, a, there was a little bit of fear, but I think um, death itself, I know that life goes on, um, that our consciousness continues. I guess there could be some trauma that we, we you know, I was a little bit afraid of. Oh my goodness. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I, I just hope I'm not forgetting anything that's important. So has the memory of this experience faded over the years or not? It has not faded, um, especially, like I said, the last few moments, few seconds where I was in God's presence. That I feel like that was such intense and such an intense experience that that will never fade, <laughs> ever. Um, I, I think there's parts that are fuzzy, like the, the life review. I can remember being told to not throw away this life, to appreciate this life, and some of the experiences. Um, I can't, I think I saw, I also think I was shown some future events and, but I was not allowed, I don't have one memory of one future, but um, I'm sure I've already crossed some of those events, you know, in, in the 30 years I've lived. Um, but I don't clearly remember those, and I think I wasn't allowed to remember those. Yeah, there's certain things you're not allowed to remember. That's interesting about it. So um, nothing important has I think I came back with the very important concepts and realizations that I was meant to have. And I think it gave me strength to face future challenges. You said God's voice sounded like it was male. Did God appear to you as a being or just like a light? Just light. There was no form. There's, there was no recognizable form. Um, so I think that's pretty much all I can say, except the, the place that I was in was sort of like um, dancing light, like lots of joy, lots of happiness. Like, like it was a big party in a way. It was like I was aware of others somewhere, somewhere along the way. I knew there were others, and I know that, that we were all experiencing 
the the beauty and the love, the tremendous love. It was, you know, great. It was wonderful. I just want, I just wish I had a movie I could replay of that. <laughs> where anytime you get really low or start doubting or anything, you can replay that. But in my head, I sort of can't. Um, I'm trying to think of the, was it Daniel, Daniel Brinkley who had been struck by lightning his near-death experience and um, also I think it was Betty Edie. These are people that I did read about their near-death or listen to their interviews about near-death experiences and um, some people say well I don't want to listen to anybody else's experience because it might you know change my own perspective but no I think we're that's really good to listen to other people's near-death experiences um it's my favorite thing to do I envy you I mean in your job because you get to interview people <laughs> all the time and uh, you know I always take home take home uh, something from other people's experiences. It, it's nice to know um, that other people don't want to come back because I had some guilt a little bit like, well, you know, I had responsibilities. I was a young mother with two little boys. And um, very often I thought, well, why would I say I didn't want to come back? You know, because I love my children. But I think there was, I think there had been such a deficit in my life. There, you know, it's kind of like a big hole to fill. You know, it's like I didn't know who I was. I didn't, you know, my self worth was down there, and um, my marriage was not going all that well. We. We have since that that my partner, my husband, and I have divorced. You know, not too many more years after that. I'd say um, give it about three more years, and we were going our different ways. Um, so, but I'm still so very very grateful, and I've had a few other near death experiences along the way. Um, before you go into those, can you recall yeah. what the angel looked like? She was gorgeous. I mean, very aesthetically beautiful. Um, but it was it was like she was very tall. Um, she was just shimmering, sort of like a human face, human form, but very very tall. Had a long gown on that was gold. It was just like, and that's part of the memory when she said I had golden opportunities I was looking at her and she was sort of golden so that helped anchor a lot of it's about anchoring memories because you're going to see in here a lot of things um, when people talk about art the buildings or um, castles or what I didn't I don't remember any buildings. I don't remember the flowers talking to me or anything. I believe they're right. I mean, I I think everything is a little more alive 
are a lot more alive. <laughs> but um, I didn't experience that. I didn't experience the tunnel. I have experienced a tunnel in my childhood. Um, um, when I was nine years old, um, my father, um, well, my parents separated, but he was getting ready to leave the house. And so he told me to go lay down and um, don't get up or something like that. And my parents were separating. And when I laid down, I felt like the whole room was spinning. It's sort of like having vertigo. And then um, when I opened my eyes, it's like I was looking up through a tunnel. And these six faces were looking like if you were looking down over the wall of the around well or tunnel, um, they were all looking down at me. And I looked at all of them and then later on, um, one of them looked like the banker on the Monopoly game. Mm. One of them had a huge long beard. Um, I found that they were <laughs> they were all great grandfathers. And by going through some family records or albums, I remember them and that they all had different personalities. But I think that was a very powerful moment also because it's sort of like I realized I had a support I had support in ancestors you know um like I have Cherokee ancestry and um one of my ancestors was definitely Cherokee looking um I actually have a picture of him um there's um a boatload of Irish <laughs> and you know I'm just kind of a European blend um, but but yeah seeing them gave me an anchor you know as a child like okay my dad's leaving I was very close to him but I'm gonna be you know I'm going to be protected and kept from serious harm um, also when I was about 16, um, I was camping, um, in the White Mountains in Arizona and I climbed up this cliff and I was climbing back down and my foot slipped and I was actually airborne. I actually fell off a cliff and, um, I lost consciousness, but when I kind of came back around, I was, uh, the back of my pants, I was in a thorn bush, but I wasn't too scratched up or anything. I was just kind of, you know, the back of my pants in a thorn bush and um, kind of had to twist myself around a little bit. I was shaking. I was just the whole way down. I was like, my heart was pounding, just climbing the rest of the way down. Um, but the whole way down, I also felt like I had been literally saved. You know, like, I, that was one of the times when I felt like there's something bigger than me. You know, I'm not, it's not just me. <laughs> there's something bigger than me. So um, I love 
that experience. I love the way I felt. I told my friends about it and they were just laughing, you know, like, oh, Nancy, you know, but I, um, it changed. It, it also changed me. It's like every once in a while I would have some experience that would kind of reinforce the fact that the, there's a bigger plan. There's, there's more to this. It's not, you know, it's not a simple thing. And there's, there's bigger consciousness out there. You mentioned that you had been a psychic since you were a child. Did that happen because of some kind of out-of-body or near-death experience? I'm going to put it this way. Not necessarily. I think I was born with it because I remember being quite small. I can maybe be four years old. And like, for instance, one of the early memories I have is this lady walked into our home. My mother answered the door. She was there to see my mother about something. And as she walked in, I had this intense pain in my shoulder. And the next thing out of her mouth is my mom was saying something like, well, how are you? And she goes, oh, my bursitis is really acting up today. <laughs> but I, I almost heard, I, I would almost, like a second before people would say something, I would hear it. And um, I, I was also sitting in the back seat. I don't think we had safety belts back then. Cars were different. Like I was born in 52, so I'm sure we had like a 55 Chevy or something um, at the time. And the radio was on and they were having a contest and they said, we're going to play the music backwards. And if you know what the song is, call in. So my mom's driving and my brother's in the front seat. And they played the song backwards. And I said, oh, that's You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog by Elvis Presley. I got it right away. You know, so it's like, I mean, it was instant. I didn't even have to think. Um, so I was, and then I would see when I would go to bed at night, I know there were people talking to me that were not in body. There's also a lot of lights. Like I would see um, in the dark. I would see like red lights and green lights. And I think we were going through my chakras, chakras when I was a kid every night. Um, and so I, I think I came in with a lot of development already going on just there. Um, and all that psychic awareness. Oh, I could talk to animals. Well, apparently talking when I was a kid, I would, I would have dogs follow me home all the time. I would tell the dog telepathically to follow me because <laughs> I wasn't allowed. My family was not into pets. And unfortunately, there was a dog that would follow me home. He was like a German shepherd. And my brother would throw rocks at him. So he stopped that. And it just, you know, I did not enjoy going fishing because... Um, I could feel the pain. I could, I was so empathetic. I feel the pain of the fish and I had to let the crawdads, they had crawdads and I let the crawdads go in the water. I was terrible to go fishing. <laughs> I mean, the, <laughs> I was not having a good time. I was very, you know, empathetic. 
Um, I have been told by several psychics, oh, I don't know if I want to say this, this I, that I was someone in a past life that was very iconic. And so um, that talked to animals, <laughs> the saint talked to animals all the time. Um, but I don't know that I want to say it because it just sounds too, you know, I don't, it sounds like my ego's on, gone overboard or something to say it. Um, but I have memories of certain, I have certain soul memories of being cold and hungry and having my feet bleeding. And then one thing I remember is that um, one of the messages I have from that lifetime is that you don't have to be, you don't have to suffer and do a vow of poverty to be spiritual. You know, I believe that's not necessary. And it was a very hard lesson um, and a very self-depriving message. And I don't think people have to forego the normal earth. In fact, I think you can enjoy food. Obviously, I, I eat, but I'm diabetic because of the uh, Cherokee side of the family. I have to get <laughs> my weight and everything under control. My doctor, you know. You have a master's degree in counseling. You're a counselor, but you said that you also kind of put yourself out there as a psychic counselor. How does being psychic affect your ability to counsel people? Oh, it's it works. They work together like a hand in glove. They're very complementary. Um, I think that's why I got into counseling is it doesn't matter who I'm sitting next to on a plane or a bus or standing at a checkout line. <laughs> I'm one of those people that people will tell me things they've never told anyone else. I get, I've had um, supervisors, my, my people where I worked as a case manager, I started out as a case manager and then got my degree. Um, and they would say, how did you get that person to open up and tell you that? And I said, well, they just did. You know, <laughs> I mean, for some reason they said, I have never, and they will say that, say, I've never said this before. And they tell me. Um, so it's a gift that way. But also, I will tell you this, as far as being psychic, I have a great story. It's short, dude. Uh, it helps me get to the root of the problem very, very fast. It's like um, therapy goes really quick for me because I start to see clairvoyantly pictures in my head. I was talking to this one lady who was living in the car with her two kids. I was a social worker at the time. And... Um, I was talking, we were all at McDonald's. The kids were in the play play area of McDonald's and I was sitting there and we all had lunch and I was talking to her and all of a sudden I saw her I putting books on a shelf and organizing a bookshelf and she smiled. She had this, she just had this huge grin. And I, I told her, I said, I'm having this vision of you. And I have to tell, I said, I just, I'm sorry, I get these little visions. And she says, oh, well, that she lit up like a Christmas tree. She says, I've always wanted to be a librarian all my life. 
you know, I've been kind of held back because of circumstances, but I said, oh, well, that makes my job really easy that you have that kind of passion because let's get you enrolled in school, <laughs> you know, so, so it kind of prioritized the steps I was going to use to help her. Um, I think having those kind of visions propelled my ability to help people a great deal. Unfortunately, it also caused um, compassion fatigue at one point because some of the people I was helping, I was going, I was going a little bit um, too far into doing what should have been their job. You know, each person has their own work to do, and I was trying. I was taking on perhaps a little more than I should. And so that it's really good to have some, you, they talk about boundaries all the time, you know, with counseling, with social work that, and, and that's, that's, that's been a huge lesson for me as where do I back up? You know, um, if this person doesn't kind of do the work, they're going to just be right back here again. <laughs> they're just going to, you know, the next thing that happens to them, they're going to collapse again. Um, they've got to do their part in overcoming their circumstances. As your life went on and you had more of these spiritual experiences, did your psychic ability increase? Yes, it has. But I have, um, it has increased, but let me see. I'm not answering it correctly. Um, I manage, I work at that. I work at self-development. Um, I have a, I have a friend who is very psychic. She's a redhead. She's Irish. I think it's that Celtic blood too. Um, but she's not psychic on demand. She's psychic. She's I'm only psychic when I'm psychic. Like she'll get a psychic hit about something. Oh, you know, Nancy, I just got a flash. To, I need to tell you this. And it's just kind of like that, very spontaneous. As a professional psychic, I worked in Sedona for a couple of years. And as a professional psychic, um, people are walking through the door with questions and in fairness, there are days where you're probably more on as a psychic than others. Um, but I have to meditate. I've learned how to become more of a channel, more receptive. Um, it's like listening. It's like if you're a radio station, um, you're listening to this subtle energy. Um and tuning into that. And it's all about receptivity. But I've worked at that. So I wouldn't say it's just an accident that I'm more psychic. Now, I know that my um, near-death experience, like I said, I was seeing auras around people <laughs> for a week. And I was appreciating people. I was like, oh, that person. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was touching in to some deeper level of that person, it was great. <laughs> I fell in love with everybody, 
you know, it doesn't matter. I fell in love with everybody. I was going, oh my gosh, you're so such a gorgeous creature, um, whether they were or not, you know, and who's the judge of that, right? Who's the judge of gorgeousness or beauty, you know? So um, I know I kind of have my mother's critique. My mother was, she's no longer here, but she was very critical. I would say, oh, mom, she's just beautiful. I think I was saying that about Barbara Streisand. We saw her movie or something. And my mom says, well, no, she's not really beautiful. <laughs> she, was, she would like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, one of my friends I thought was beautiful. She said, well, she kind of has a lantern chin. And, you know, I say, no, stop, stop, stop. I don't, I don't need that. You know, it's like, <clears throat> that's, it's so sad what fashion industry does. You know, it takes everybody apart. Why do you think that ability of seeing people's auras after your NDE faded? I think we, I was having some marriage problems. And I think we were having some financial problems. Um, I think there, okay, I'll use a little psychology here. I think there is a pattern or habits of thought. I'm a fan of Abraham Hicks too, so, um, and I think that we get comfortable, like, you know, some people just get stuck in their perceptions or habits of thought. So to some extent, I know I stepped slowly, not right away, but slowly back into that. And I would have to, uh, but then even though I may have had those concepts, um, certain concepts kind of stuck in there from childhood, <clears throat> from my family. <clears throat> my family was sort of dysfunctional, so um, there were probably some negative ideas or something that I had. But um, I learned how to eventually get better like focus away from them or get out of that you know break out of that and it seems like there were teachers I had people come up to me and hand me books um, when I was like 17 I was with my mother somewhere and this lady came walking up and she says I I'm going to hand you this book I hope you will read it we didn't know it. she was a stranger and um, the book was um, Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, I think his name was. It's, sorry, I don't know if it's still in print, um, but it was, it was, you know, an excellent book. And he was, um, do you, have you read that one? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, evidence you. <laughs> it's, it's, he was a, um, plastic surgeon um, he did facial reconstruction and stuff and the just the basic the one sentence um, one sentence about the whole book is that he would correct some deformity or accident something had been an accident to be corrected and that person would still see themselves as deformed so they had um, <laughs> some sort of 
internal mechanism where they were identifying with themselves as that person that's deformed still, even though if they look in a mirror, they look great. But And so um, your inner image, whoever you think you are. And I think it was very fitting for me to read that at the time. You are a counselor. You've been counseling people as well as you've experienced God and been on the other side. How do you counsel grieving people on death or the loss of their loved ones? I've lost, I've lost people that I, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is not cooperating today. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I've lost loved ones. And so I'm no stranger to grief. Um, the, you know, the thing I would say is you don't have to white knuckle getting through grief. There are groups. Um, when I lost my oldest son, we had so much phenomena <laughs> around him <clears throat> when he, um, it was like he was right there with us for about a year after his death, but, um, he, I lost him accidentally. He was 27. And um, I just thought I wouldn't survive it, but I was, I became part of a grief support group called Compassionate Friends. And they would, they would talk about their, you know, you're not alone in going through grief that also grief deepens you. But the one thing I would say is that life does continue. Um, I, I've had, we had so many experiences with my son. Um, he did funny, he did, he would prank us. I mean, he did funny things too. And so um, life continues. Um, if they need a demonstration of, a lot of times when I've done psychic readings, um, that loved one, it, it causes tears. I call it connection tears. That person will come in very, very close. And like this one grandmother was holding a birthday cake with candles. And I said, oh, your grandmother says happy birthday. And he goes, like, you know, the person that's sitting there says, yeah, it's my birthday. And, and uh, I said, well, she's here. And she's showing me a picture that you painted for her. You know, so I kept bringing through things clairvoyantly. I guess that's what mediums do. I guess it's not that unusual. Um, and I also have had clients show up that, I don't know if I'm answering your question, like just rambling there, but I've had people show up with a phrase. So like this one lady, her mother was dying of cancer and um, they both believed in psychics. But anyway, they developed a phrase that, sh that if the psychic would say that phrase, I forget there's a word I'm not thinking of for that phrase, like um, what it's called. So um, this lady came and sat down and and she says, well, you know, today's the anniversary of my mom's death. And I'm, you know, I'm here in remembrance of her. And I said, okay, let me just kind of quiet my brain, my Nancy brain and, you know, become receptive and see what I pick up about her. And um, 
I said, for some reason, all I can see is the color green. It was a beautiful emerald green, but my whole head, that it was like looking at a blank screen that was green. And then I said, and I said, that's all I can see. Oh, and I'm looking at a cup. And she says, well, our phrase was green cup. And then she started crying. <laughs> she, I couldn't get her to stop. You know, I kept handing her tissues like, okay, well, let's go on, you know, but yeah, it's, um, uh, ask your question again. I think I caught, so I, I'm having, sometimes it's hard to ask a question the way it said. I've, I've almost got to rethink it. I was just trying to say that since you've already been on the other side, you know what it's like, you've experienced being there and you've communicated with God. How do you counsel people on death? And, on death? Yeah. Um, if I'm being a psychic, I bring through that loved one to convince them, you know, the loved one will bring through enough information that they are sure that their loved one in personality continues. Um, you know, James von Prague said that when his mother died, um, he could not connect to her for about a year. Sometimes the grief is so intense that you have to just, you know, there's stages of grief. You just, unfortunately, where none of us are able to skip completely, you know, saying goodbye is, is for sure a real hard thing. It's a real kick in the pants. And I'd say being part of a a group where other people are experiencing the same thing. Um, it's going to take some time. Usually people will say the most, I was counseling with this one lady that lost her husband. And I finally, she finally started laughing. I, I um, laughing because she said, um, I said, you know, people say the stupidest things at funerals or viewings or memorials, or they'll come up to you and go, well, he's in a better place now. Well, it was his time to go. You know, whatever they say, when you're standing in those shoes, like a, a widow who's just lost her husband, none of it really fits very well. And um, even when they say, well, I'm here if you need me, but, you know, you know, so much of it just sounds like crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> Us. And she started laughing. We were both talking about the dumb things that people say. And they mean well. I mean, I'm not saying it sounds very unspiritual. I mean, but I mean, they mean well. But I think people are at a loss for words because it is, there's just not, there's no flowery thing you can say that will instantly um, make the pain go away. So um, I think it just takes time. Um, the one thing I will say to people is, um, I hope you find peace. Because I don't think you ever stop really missing that person, but you can accept it better as time goes on, right? I don't think there's a quick fix, Jeff. I This is a good question because um, it's if you really love that person deeply, um, like your child or a husband or something. It takes time. All right. In the beginning, I mentioned that you are a blogger. People want to check out your blog. How do they find it? 
I'll give you that address. And um, I have a website that's really easy to to find the blog that way as if they for you know if they're not writing down the blog address. Um, the website is Angel Bells Guidance all, all together on one word, angelbellsguidance.com. So that's A-N-G-E-L-B-E-L-L-S-G-U-I-D-A-N-C-E.com. Um, the blog is available there. My contact information is there. Um, the blog is um, angelbell444.blogspot.com. So both of those, and they're both kind of connected to each other. So it's kind of a fail safe. If you remember one, you'll get to the other. I was reading on your blog and you said, why are we here? If you're not having some fun, then you're really taking yourself and this world too seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that would be a good statement to close with right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that um, being able to see yourself sometimes humorously um, I remember having this experience with Jesus where we were we were just laughing hysterically, like I did something funny apparently. <laughs> and um, I think I think learning how to laugh and take yourself less seriously is is just a big gift. Um, sometimes when people have near death experiences, I think they're looking at them a little too seriously. Like, I think there's a lot of people that have near-death experiences. Um, I don't think it means necessarily that you have to become a very holy, devout person. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> unless you really want to, unless you feel that that's what you should do. But I think just live your life with more purpose. Help people. I think that's it. So you mentioned that your contact information is there. If people want to contact you after listening to this podcast, you're okay with it? Absolutely. Yes, it's fine. Please do. You know, um, my phone number and my email is on the first page of my website. So easy, easy to get in touch with me. Um, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I mm -hmm. hope that I covered everything that we needed to cover. <laughs> well, you need one last thing, and that is, okay. <laughs> can you leave us with one last positive message? I feel just to meditate every day is really important. And to have the memory that there is this ancient relationship out there just waiting, just waiting for you to open the door and to allow that relationship to come in and to grow. And, you know, each religion, it doesn't matter which religion you are. Um, I really don't think God is about religion, but I think he is about reconnecting with all of us to make this lifetime more purposeful and more joyous and more fulfilling. So I think those are good concepts I take back with me from that experience. And they help me. 
and I know they have others. <laughs> Nancy, thank you for sharing with us today. I appreciate you coming on our podcast, and I wish you the best. Oh, Jeff, I'm, I'm sorry it's over. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, and you have a great day, and everybody have a great day. Thank All you. right, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff.